listening to The Dumb Will Speak, a podcast in which we seek to honor the truth of God as revealed in His Word. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Dumb Will Speak. I am one half of the host team here, Chalen. And I'm Roy. And today we're going to be discussing a topic, uh, kind of the, another state of the church, state of theology, where things are as we have continued over this uh, past year. I, I believe within the last week we've marked a year being in this pandemic, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. And uh, so we're kind of looking at the church and, if you will, taking a 30,000-foot view of <laughs> of what's going on now across the world in the church and... Um, uh, taking a look at things and uh, and and just see how the state of the church and theology is right now. And we are in some sad times, revealing times, really sadly. Um, I guess that's what I mean by that is because we have been revealed, been able to pull back the veil of what some termed as Christianity and see see just how much of a sham that it really is. Would you have a better way to say it? or No, evangel- the, yeah, it's the, instead of the State of the Union, it's the, the, the pitiful state of evangelicalism in the United States, basically. And, and you know, I, I think a great place to start with this is, how do you think that come about? How do you think we got to the state we're at to where the church is so far amok that we... Well, I'll just say it this way. Why do we only have salvation messages every time you turn around at most churches and we never do what Scripture tells us to? Yeah, you you are to draw them to salvation. You are to uh, preach the Word. But then there's never instruction for the edification of the saints. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, You want to know what it is? Go ahead, please. That's what we're here for. This is my opinion, right? It's the, the lack of the emphasis on Scripture. That yeah, scripture agree. is not the focus. Politics are the focus. Per- denominationalism is the focus. Personal pet peeves of the pastor might be the focus. Um, getting the tithes and offerings in, getting people to attend Sunday school or join a small group, getting people to be a part of a program or something that your denomination pushes or that you personally like above all the other things that the denomination pushes. Speaking as someone who's been affiliated with Southern Baptist churches for the last, since uh, probably 93, yeah, 93. Um, that's, that's been my experience. It's, that's what's wrong. Now, we've, we've we've lacked, we lack the central focus of being the scripture itself. And instead it's our own view of what is evangelism, our own view of what is the message. But what about the whole counsel of God? The idea of seeing the, the Bible as a whole, it's 66 units, 66 individual books or letters. And yet it's a whole, it's one message of God reviewing his revelation through time in time of the gospel, the good news of Christ. You know, you said something there, and it's a word that you and I talk about often. It's the programs. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, let's be clear. We don't mind the Monday programs. I or Tuesday of this week, when you brought that up, that you wanted to do a subject of like this, I think that's what you said. And you said, I don't know how to word this, but dealing with programs versus the gospel. Basically, yeah. kind of what you said. I'm paraphrasing. You know, and that's a, that's a very good paraphrase, because what happens is, okay, I don't, unless you've lived under a rock, you know what we're talking about about the pandemic. We we have been in a year to where churches. Even if you've lived under a rock, you, you how did, could you not know? <laughs> well, you know, but you you know, so we we've been in a time to where we we first got told that this was going to kill millions, yeah, and 
look, I'm going to speak for Chalen. I'm not going to speak for Roy here. Roy can give it his own. But, you know, my thing is this is a real virus. People have passed away from it. People Certainly. have been sick from it. Um, do I think we overreacted as far as just shutting the world down? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I, I do that. I said, you know, um, and frankly, some of the people we listen to as far as theology goes, this was uh, uh, Charles Darwin's dream, you know, <laughs> the virus. Dream virus. This yeah. was the dream virus. Survival, you know, of, the survival of the fittest. And it, 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 it seemed to uh, really affect the elderly and the... the, the and weed out the weak, And weed out say. the weak is, is what they would say. But and I'm not trying to be harsh. No, I'm not either. The, the point of view is that is that if you truly accept everything that evolutionism... You know, and I'm saying evolutionism, mm-hmm. not not microevolution, which is called adaptation, that does exist in God's creation. Don't count Roy as an evolutionist here, people. What I'm saying is we do know about mutation and adaptation. That is technically evolution, but it's not evolutionism, which is a grander scheme. That's a philosophy, and in my opinion, a humanist religion, which is to say that everything, including creation itself, is by happenstance. It's by chance. There's no divine... Um, creation there there was no creator and there's no plan there's no design and because of that everything is just adaptation all the way down from the micro level to the macro level mm-hmm. so there's no macro evolution but there is micro evolution and, and we don't and and when you live by evolutionary standards what difference does this make if a few people get called from the pack yeah and and that's the the standard that has kind of been set by society of of the past because what? once you reject the creator and his design where does your moral standard come from anyway? Why are they are why is it the new morality to wear a mask? And I'm not look, I'm not one of those completely anti-maskers. I think they're inconvenient. I don't like them. I can't breathe well in them, but I wear one when I go to stores and things because the the store owner wants me to. Okay? And, you know, I agree with you. I, I do the same thing. Me and you've had many conversations about that. It's like, you know what? The store owner asked me to, even if there's not a pandemic, I'm going to I'm going to wear the mask. Sound effects provided by Mr. Coffee. <laughs> and uh, you know, so that's what, you know, we we we've been in this for a year and we have yeah and we have discussed many times throughout this year that churches had the opportunity i've said this frankly yeah i had the opportunity to to extend the gospel to be able to get the gospel out you know because a lot of people were put online that really learned how to do online in a matter of days and hours to be able to get the message out. Those first three to four months of COVID were crucial to how we were going to see what the real reaction of the church was going to be. And I think for the majority of churches... I think we're moderate on that. I don't think we're ultra-conservative or liberal on that. I think you and I would be considered moderate. And I really didn't mind if you're... You know, Todd Friel said this, and I agree with Todd Friel. I never mind if your church said you were going to shut down and be online only. Yeah. Great. Okay, that's fine. If your church said we're going to go full... I'm okay with that. I, I'm I'm okay with that. Just be consistent in your argument was my whole the whole reasoning for it. And you know, especially once we got past first what the couple six twelve weeks, really once we begin to see the virus taking shape and and beginning to see um, what it was truly. I do think those first couple of months it was crucial that we all didn't just run around and do whatever we want to do and oh, shake hands and things like that. I do think that. I think it would have been worse. I think an initial crackdown was fine. I'm not a handshaker, but you know, I'm not anyway, or a but. hugger. But I mean, you know, I try to hug you, but you pull away. You, just, you won't show the brotherly <laughs> love. There's no holy kiss between us. It's a, it's sad. You know, but it's, anyway, it's I, tap, think, tap I think I think I think the Reverend Paul would be upset with you. It's tap, what I'm tap, saying. Go, man. So, so elbow bumps are fine, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and I am not a germaphobe. That's the thing. Well, but seriously, those first two or three months, we didn't know what we were dealing with, and I think for precaution's sake, because of what it, what had happened in 
for one thing, in Italy. Yeah. Was 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 it was a lesson to us in the West to say, okay, hold up, there's something going on here. Um, sadly, Italy did do an initial lockdown for and two or three happened. months. It happened, but but the thing is, they went back. They are almost they're semi normal now, and people are wearing the little flimsy masks. You know, they're, they actually they're are going no back basins. on lockdown. I think. But are they weeks. going to? Okay, uh, that's been the I'm not up to date then, I guess, I guess. But I know for during the summer months of last year and through the fall and early winter this year, Italy was seen as an example of well, they did it right. They did it harsh early on. And they killed it, and it's not as bad there as it is in other places now. Well, but I think they're going under lockdown this time as precautionary measures again to, you know, I think is what they're doing. Um, What's I, the you point know, that, now? That's, Winter's about over. Well, I think they're the, thinking the, of the— The flu and fire season is just about over. I, now is a silly time to be locking down. We're getting to, we're getting to warm up. We're, we're hoping we're on the tail end of this to we're herd immunity, but I'm not a specialist, nor do I play one on TV. No. So, no. Um, but, what I, you know, but so in this— we saw churches run to programs, is what you said. Yeah. And well, when, well, my point about the programs is it's been that you asked me what's happened to the church over time. I think a slow build over time was that we just ran to this is what we're going to. We're going to try something new to bring the kids in, folks, you know, to keep the kids in, folks. And I don't think we've thought through this well enough biblically to say, yeah, but what is church? Is church just let's have a party? And do bouncy houses, and um, I'm being facetious here. No, yes, but you see people. it. I mean, but I'm saying, is is our focus do anything possible to get people to come in? I'm, I'm sorry, but I think sometimes the compel them to come. You know what I'm talking about? Compel them to come it's in, seeker go sensitive. out into the highways and the byways, and bring them in. Um, try to rescue in Jude. Try to rescue some. You know, even by snatching them away from the flames of hell. We've taken that to the extreme and said anything goes in evangelism. And the truth is. Anything does not go in Christ's church because he's the head, not us. This this is the sad state. We, we've been battling this for a while, and the programs have run. And, you know, we've talked about Sunday school before. You yeah. know, you and I mentioned it. And I don't have a problem can with Sunday school. Tool. It could be a great tool. Uh, it could be a tremendous tool. The problem is, I think, for most churches, and I think you would agree with this too, are the Sunday school teachers truly vetted to make sure they're qualified to be teaching that task? Because... James talks about that, and I believe it's the first of chapter two or first of chapter three, and it says, "Be you know, don't be apt to teach. You'll you'll come under stricter judgment." That also goes for the Sunday school teachers too. That's just not the guy that's behind the pulpit delivering the Sunday sermon. Yeah, that that's those that are teaching from the from the children up. And and look, you know, this is another thing to to talk about too. We're talking about that. I, opinions differ on whether the children should be. With you know, all together as a family union, and if that's what you want, I don't have a problem with it. If the children are being taught or, or you know, are, are being separated, but they're still having a a small group Bible study, if you will, so the the word is still the central focus, then I don't have a problem with that either. To, to either way you do it, I don't have a problem with it either one. I still think the main teachers of a uh, family unit. Are the parents to the kids? Certainly. That shouldn't be the main place they're getting taught is Absolutely. in that youth group. That should just be a a support that is helping build on the foundation that the parents are are, are working through. Look, God's plan for family hasn't changed since the Old Testament. It's still the no. same, and He told the Jewish fathers that you are the ones to raise your children, to train them in the ways of the Lord, to train them under the covenant, so that they'll you'll raise up men to God. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that hasn't changed really. 
No. We are under the new covenant. We are the church, okay? We're the ecclesia. We're the body of Christ. But that doesn't mean we're not still following God's law. And God's law demands that fathers be the head of the home and that they be spiritual leaders and that they be a schoolmaster to their children. And, and that's right, you know. And this is not about homeschooling versus public no. education. We're talking about the spiritual education of your of your children. We're talking about pure scripture, yeah. teaching them the word of God and, and what the truths that are revealed in that word of God. That's what we're talking about. Teaching them and instructing them in the commandments of God. Absolutely. And that, you know, I think a lot of parents that we see today, not that we see, but I'm talking, once again, we're talking about this 30,000 foot view of just as a whole. The parents think the primary teaching is done by whoever's teaching that little lesson. Yeah. And, and then somehow the sad part of this is somehow we have really set up the pastor as the end all, be all. And most churches do not take the time to study, read, and discern the word themselves. Do we dare give the people a history lesson and take them down the path of where Sunday school comes from? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. In the 1800s in England? Go ahead. What was seen by many of the, of the, of the, of the church was that, uh, specifically a lot of the women, was that they were finding that, okay, children, due to child labor laws, I urge you to read Charles Dickens' Hard Times. That's a novel that will tell you what the Industrial Revolution was really like for people of all ages during that time. But children were slaves. They went to work as soon as the parents needed them to. And the, the mass of people living in London and in the suburbs of London and then in the outer, outer cities and villages, York and other places, Nottingham, all these areas. I just said Nottingham. That is not what I meant. Well, I've been into Robin Hood this week for some reason. And I just said Nottingham. That was not the, the, the city. Birmingham and other places in England. Manchester. These areas, okay. The non-university cities. But, well, oh, London had university, but you know what I'm saying. What is the word saying. of Roger Miller or Robin Hood and Little John skipping oh, through the forest? Oh, <laughs> oh, what is it? Oh, oh, golly. Oh, Uli, Ollie, whatever. Oh, golly, golly, what a day. Yeah, yeah. It's a great Ro- movie if you Robin haven't Hood. seen it. Was it Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, great. So, oh. Sorry. <laughs> Total sidetrack. Roger Miller. Roger Miller was quite a lyricist, man. He was. If you're ever wondering how our phone conversations go, you just got introduced Damn. to to shiny object in the distance yeah. that distracts us. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, I uh, I was saying that that what they saw was okay. The kids are not getting an education now. They're working more than. There's no school for a lot of these poor people. That's what it was. Who were yeah. basically treated like serfs, even though feudalism had ended in England hundreds of years earlier. The Industrial Revolution made it possible to get cheap labor out of the children. These people took it on themselves as a mission field to educate the children and teach them to read and, and study the Word of God and to, and, to, and to learn how to read and write and to be able to sing hymns. And that's what Sunday school was. They taught them how to read and write. It was school. It they was taught school. them how to do math. And then they instructed them in, in the Bible as well. They used the Bible as the means to instruct. Wonderful, right? That's a mission for the poor, and that's a mission for making sure people were educated. Because, by the way, throughout history, just read history in the West, when Rome fell and everything else, who kept education alive? It was the church. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the Catholic Church gets the thing for that. But let's face it, there were other groups as well. There were there were people who were essentially Protestants then. They were called heretics, but they were also keeping it alive. They were teaching their children at home even though their children did have to work on the little farm or whatever it was that they were living at there in, there in England and other parts of Europe. The point is, education has always been a central focus of Christians. Christians and education are important. Just as Christians and healthcare was important, just as Christians and rescuing infants was important, yeah, yeah, there were abortions in the Roman Empire. There was also the idea of exposing children. You know what that was, right? You, you gave birth to a child you didn't want, you set it out near the trash pile to be exposed to the elements and die, and then be put in the, in the burn. 
Uh, they wouldn't literally throw them in the fire, but they would put them by the trash heap to be exposed to the elements. They would die overnight, and then from the cold, and then they would, they, or, or eaten by an animal. That's just a fact. But the Christians would run around, find where these births were, and save the children and raise them as their own. Adopt them. And, you know, and I'm going to piggyback on that with something else, and we can't even get most Christians to stand up for abortion. I know. Now, you know, I'm going to piggyback on that to give that plug. We, we, really, we really can't. But, but education was the central focus of Sunday school. It was literally school, a free school for children, for poor children. Okay, that was Sunday school. And yes, they instructed them in the hymns and in the, in the psalms, and they instructed because they sang the psalms and that sort of thing there in England, and that's, they still do. And that sort of thing was, was, what, was what started it. It wasn't well, age-divided Bible study. No. How it, it wasn't the first half of your Sunday morning service. It wasn't what we do today. And then it began to morph what is the 1870 Educational Act, roughly, is kind of when it began to morph and Sunday school began to take the shape because yeah. then universal um, elementary education, or yeah. elementary education become universal yeah. at, at that point. So you begin to see a little bit of a different But aspect. that's the actual origins of Sunday yeah. school. And I mean, I'm look, I'm not opposed to Bible study by any means. That's something I love to do. No, you taught but, Sunday school sure, for, for years. 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 And I taught a diverse group at both churches where I, both congregations where I was involved. I don't like to like the term church anymore. Congregations, the, the various congregations where I've been involved, where I did teach, and there were two of them where I did this for over a period of years. In both of those uh, groups that we had, small class, they were classes. It was age range anywhere from teenagers to people in their eighties. At both places that I taught, because I had an open door policy. I don't care who you are, you can come and listen, but I will warn you that when the Bible says something. Harsh. Harsh. I'm going to tell you the harsh truth. And that's the way it should be. Because, dare I say, you were doing what anybody's supposed to do as a teacher. You're teaching God's Word. And, and there's R-rated things in the Bible, folks. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was getting at. I would warn people up front, you know, okay, I don't care for your child being in my class, but you need to be aware that when we get to the part about Judah and his and his daughter-in-law, I'm going to talk about it. Well, and then you get to the parts you, you have... Um, Oh, Gomer, the the prostitute, mm-hmm. which is the picture of Israel, where it keeps running away, and you go get her. I mean, and, there are and, some, and, hard... and you have the prophet of God raising illegitimate children. They're not his, but he's raising them his own, a form of adoption. And, and you, and it's a wonderful picture when sure. we sit back and look at it. But you know, once again, and and so we see Sunday school has become this that, almost segregated church. Yeah, and that was, age and to me that was church. the beginning of what we call programming. Yes. What, what you and I have, t- have termed which, as programmings. Which then led into the modern youth group mm-hmm. that we have saw the trend. Now, that's a mid-20th century phenomenon that yeah. has proven to be... Atrocious. Atrocious. It's now, done irreparable damage to the church. There are youth groups that do a tremendous job. They do a really good job at teaching God's Word, sticking with the Word of God, and they teach those children as kind of a midweek... Bible study. So it's a group of kids getting together to actually open the Word of God and study. But then there's the youth groups that meet for games, I guess you could say. I mean, <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, what are some of the atrocious games we've heard? Uh, uh, bobbing for apples in the toilet. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I, ta- I mean, there, there's, and you see these youth leaders doing all this. For some reason, we become seeker sensitive because now the youth group leader, I'm not even going to, you know, they call them youth ministers. I'm not even going to use that term. Or youth pastors. Youth pastors. Once again, I'm not going to use that term. But they, this youth person, 
just thinks he's got to get on their level and and you you the the word of god you need to raise them to the word of god and teach them the truth one of our very very dear friends who's been on the show and we need to get him back jonathan is a youth pastor at a church and he truly pastors you, those people those kids that i don't want to say it's a flock within a flock because that's not what it is but the younger people of that flock sure. that are relatively new Christians, I would say, because a of lot the law, of them, yeah. a lot of them. And some are lost, and he man, knows that. He He's trying to get them. teaching them Scripture, and he begins walking through books. He walks through topics, and he walks through what the Bible actually says. Dude, he teaches apologetics. Yeah, he does. He tells them how you can understand creationism and understand the inerrancy of the Word of God and things of that nature that you will need to know when you go to college. And I'm going to tell telling you, this to junior high and high schoolers. There's something that like I he think, should. We that gets left behind is that defense. Sometimes I don't think we as Christians know how to articulate a proper defense against an attack that somebody comes at you because with. Because we get the word apologize from that Greek, we think that that means we're apologizing for being a Christian. No, no, we're the real word apology actually just means you're giving a, a testimony, a defense of something. Isn't it First Peter where that's used where it says when don't you know be ready to give a defense yes. or an apology yes. of the faith? Yes. And, and you know when you the look word at, in Greek is apologia. And when apologia. you and when you look at that book, what's fascinating is these are the Christians that are being persecuted. They're being burned at the stake. They're being used in the Roman games. They're they're just for the slaughter. Parents and, forced to watch their children be killed first, yeah. eaten by wild animals. And and so what they say is, when you have this joy, as James says, count it all joy when you when you suffer for my suffer, and, and that is various trials. That actually means many colors. So there's just a variation of trials. Uh, when you see that variation, be ready to give defense because you're joyful, because you're you're being able to go through it. Read Fox's books of martyrs. Yeah, you know, Vladimir and Ridley, and and you you read yeah you've got it's it on my shelf. Read read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you see these people that are burned at the stake, uh, for or burned at the stake. They're killed. They're hung. They're crucified. Look at the apostles, Spe- all but one. Speaking of Fox's, before we move on, go ahead. Can I say this? If if you're interested in cheap, not necessarily cheaply made, they're 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 put together well. But if you're looking for a very affordable, economical reprints of these classic works of the faith and uh, apologetics and other things of that nature, check out Hendrickson's Classics. Hendrickson's the publisher. Mm -hmm. Hendrickson's hardcovers are great, and they're cheap. And I'm going to put another plug in for an online uh, community of people. It's a family-owned business, christianbook.com. It used to be be CBD, but now because of... CBD oil. Yeah, they had to change their name. But it's christianbook.com. It's really Christian Book Distributors. It's always been CBD. But uh, christianbook.com, go there and and just put it all in one word, word, christianbook.com. And you look up Hendrickson and everything that they publish. There's some good stuff there, man. And and I, I urge you to do it. You can find some good stuff. G.K. Chesterton's book on heretics you can get for like seven ninety nine every day. Oh, you can get Fox's their book sale. of Martyrs for like four ninety nine. You can get the um, the Stone Lectures on Calvinism by I forget the guy's name. He was he was a uh, I think Dutch who came to America and wound up teaching here. But he he was a Reformed guy. But yeah. his defense of Calvinism, uh, all that stuff. Kuiper, Kuiper, Kuiper. He's deceased, but he died in the early twentieth century. But Kuiper's uh, lectures on the Stone lectures on Calvinism, all those things. You can get some great books for like less than ten bucks. And, End of the plug. Well, and speaking of which, that's a good place to plug us. If you want to check us out, uh, please by all means go to the website www.dumbspeak.com. www.dumbspeak.com. Also, anything we're talking about mentioning, please give us an email. Comments at dumbspeak.com. Uh, please just don't hesitate to email us and get a hold of us. Uh, there's a plug for us. You know, we we in Sunday school. People have run back to that, and they've just 
you know, that's it. We're running back to these programs. Right? And you know what? I don't have a problem with it, but I question the mode at which they run back. Does that make sense? Am I saying that correctly? The last two for certain, I'm not sure about the last three, but the last two people that I have sat under as pastor, both were of the mind that you build your church through your Sunday school. If you have a thriving Sunday school community, you'll have a, a better attended, better better served church. There might be some relative logic to that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, from a purely pragmatic and practical point of view, it's true that if you've got people, quote, as they always like to say, plugged in to something, you're going to be able to get them to do things. And you know I'm going to vehemently disagree with that. But people should be willing to do things regardless because of their love of Christ. If their heart is not in it, Getting them to join for a while is not enough. I'm sorry. And you know I'm going to disagree with that. But that sure. yeah, I mean, and, and I don't disagree with what you're saying. What I'm disagreeing with is what those people have said, because mm-hmm. I think the central focus is the Word of God. I am too. Yeah, I, I know I'm you also are. disagreeing. I, I wouldn't yeah. brought it up. Yeah, that's And I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh to anyone that I once served under. I, I love them in Christ. They were good people. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I have a different view than that. I don't think that's how you grow the church. You know how you grow the church? By faith and commitment. And if you don't have committed people following Christ, not the man, not the program, not the local body, but following Christ, you're never going to grow the church. You're right. And and that's what I've always said. The and word can we needs get to away from that statement anyway? What? We don't grow the church. No. Christ placed people read the book of Acts. Christ added to the church as many souls as were as were needed. When he decided to do it, when people got saved, when he called them to repentance and they actually repented. I'm going to tell you, that is a miraculous book that you see from beginning to end, how that church is grown. And, you know, that's another thing. Uh, let's let's just go there. We said earlier, we have begin to, begun to set the pastor up as the end-all, be-all, know-all, and I really don't have an obligation to study, to be able to discern. That is not what we witnessed in the book of Acts. Right. It, not shepherding the flock is not the same thing as leading and mind-controlling the, the flock, teaching them but, everything they need to know for godliness and salvation. You know what does that? And we don't have a video, so nobody can see what I'm holding up right the now. the Word of God. But I'm holding up the inspired, in, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Now, I'm going to go back and step further with that and say... Let's not forget you're an ordained minister yourself. Yeah, I'm going to go back with that. I'm going to back up. I think that started with Finney. I think the problem here starts with Finney, and here's why I say that. Because it become only salvation. And if we look at the Apostle Paul in Scripture, Paul is involved in the Keep going. salvation. I, I know where you're going. But then he is involved in the sanctification by teaching them the Word of God. Discipling. Discipling. Make disciples. That's actually That's the, the Great the Commission. That's the actual Great Commission. Because we get everybody's like, oh, they, 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 you know, we read the, the Great Commission, and that Great Commission said go. Go into it, all the it, world. It, it, it does, actually but says it don't, make don't stop disciples. the sentence there, man. And it make disciples is the main thing. Baptizing them as I've commanded you. And you see Paul in all aspects of that. But here's where I'm going with the Finney thing. We have made the man behind the pulpit the agent in which salvation occurs. It's not. So you're right. So if he preaches some type of salvific message, his only job is to get people to do what? Respond. And that's the view that has become broad Across all scopes of evangelical, we see it in the word faith movement. Yeah. We see it in the Baptist movement. Yeah. This is not defined and 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 it's emotionalism. Only it's I emotionalism. It's yes. an emotional response to a to an eternal matter. And don't get me wrong, 
people's emotions can can oh man and, and you know we need to talk about wreak that. havoc on you we need to talk about that because emotional responses are not necessarily salvific faith well, in fact they're absolutely not salvific faith your emotion is not what saves you so, your knowledge come now god says in the old testament let us reason together correct the lord yeah. says this now he it's not an unreasonable faith it's not and i'll i'll give william lane craig credit for using that term a reasonable faith uh, even though i don't like william lane craig's apologies but anyway william lane craig when he says it's a reasonable faith it is a reasonable faith there's nothing illogical about salvation or about Christianity because if you know and you know that you are lost in your sin and you know that there is a means of escape, how foolish is it to well, say no to God? But God did say, the fool will say in his heart, no, there's no God. We run away from God. That's why salvation has got to be more than an emotional response. It's got to be something that hits both our head and our heart at the same time. The seat of man has to be moved to repentance. Yeah, and and that's the, the dirty word of of evangelism today is you don't use the term repentance because that tells people they're not good and they need to ch- and then and, and they got to change something. Well, no, they got to let God change them. And there you go. Who does the changing? Who does the calling? Now th- it's John six. Yeah, it's John six. John six is all that he calls. I keep them all. I lose none. No. But who did the drawing? So if we think as a man behind the pulpit that anything that I can say or do is going to draw these people down, our job is to simply stand behind the pulpit and teach the word of God. There are messages when salvation is comes up, and I, and I honestly think repentance and, 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 and Christ, that should be... I'm not going to say everywhere, but it's going to be a lot because... Now, when, when we had Tom Branson on here, he did he not say that once upon a time... He used to preach those kind of messages. Oh, I had he said it. He said I had I had a response in which 40-something people supposedly got saved in one night. And I and I remember I said, you hope they did. He goes, yeah, I hope they did. I know that's how many people made a commitment, but did they make a commitment? You know what I'm saying? Come we, down and fill out this card and let us know that you got saved. Mail well, this card into our ministry. Of this, <laughs> you know what I'm I'm at. going to say something that, that, uh, that it took me a while to come to. I mean, Billy thing- Graham recognized that. He used to say, look. I know of all these people that respond 10%. don't get saved, but if 10% got saved, that's great, and I'm well, happy. And you know this. You and I, I, I won't do, you know, I get calls, but I won't do revivals. Um, I did one thing that a buddy, that a friend of mine called and said, will you come teach Isaiah 53 for four nights? Is that the one where Colin and I did the music? Yeah, and you guys did the music. And I got, oh, and that was good. And by yep. the way, it was salvation in the sense that it was all about Christ on the cross and why he had to go and die yeah. and why it was all a part of God's preordained but, plan because it says it, it pleased God to crush him. Yeah. You made that emphatic. And it, it's that's the thing about it. You know, and so I went. I had no problem going to do that. I want you to come in for four four sessions and teach Isaiah 53 for four sessions. And that was just a little country church, and they enjoyed it. And we had a blast. We had, we had a good, good time. attendance, and everybody was. You guys did the music fine. every yeah. night except one, I think. Yeah. And 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 we had a good time. It was a joyful. It was a joyful time. We we sat down. We opened the Word of God. We got to 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 teach Christ in the Old Testament. We got to teach that that beautiful thing to where you see the Jews looking forward and then looking back. We get to see both wrapped up in that. Uh, in I, that one and passage. I was, I was scared of a drive-by shooting as we were loading the musical instruments into <laughs> my wife's vehicle because uh, we were in a neighborhood where I've arrested many people in the past. <laughs> they they knew you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we have this progression, and I use that word very 
loosely to this just utter message of nothing but, you know, so, somehow somebody can be teaching, preaching through a passage and somehow we end up beating the same horse of flogging that dead horse. <laughs> you can't resurrect him. I'm sorry. Man, can't. I wish we had a sound effect right now. And, yeah, and, and and you begin to be, beat this dead. Oh, that's when we need the horse from uh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Cloris Leachman says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and so we have this subject that is pounded. And I have been to churches before, and you, you know, when I go, it, it's whatever. Is teaching that subject line, that that message, that that whatever's for that day. I, you know, I just done Isaiah. I just did the book of Job, or the the, the first uh, chapter of the book of Job, and I just did these sort of things where you walk through this passage, and and you know, both of those really centered around the sovereignty of God and His sovereignty and God of really every aspect of of our lives, from yeah. salvation to our health to our mental faculties to you know, and I still. Love the beginning of Job 38 when after this whole book, where were you? Where were you when I did these things? Because when Job, if, when Job finally has his breakdown and yeah, questions God, because if, prior to that, Job had held the faith, but then he, and he's what a human, he, he cracks. If you have great knowledge, you instruct, instruct me. Instruct me, yeah, the creator. I mean, wow. That, and that's when the create the creatures creates the creator yeah. in his, in own, his own, image. own image. That's not scripture. No. I mean, we're created in his image, though it's distorted. Sure. But we're still created in his image. And and, and so we've we've progressed into this because heaven help we have the days of John MacArthur, who honestly I am going to say this, I am feel like I'm privileged to be living in an era that I get to see John MacArthur preach not in person, but I can watch him online. Sure, live. sure, he's there. And For and now. and hopefully the days of conferences come back, G three and those conferences where we can begin to attend those, where we can see him. But the man spent fifty years teaching the whole New Testament, that whole counsel of God, the hard things, the the the, the not so the not so easy things. Correction fifty one now and going on fifty two. Oh yeah, it is. No, it's yeah. actually his fifty second year. He was at yeah, Trinity Bible Church this year. Uh, I'm sorry. Last week, and he made he was uh, preaching. Uh, he was there teaching for Steve Lawson. Uh, ironically, did Isaiah five and six uh, as a um, um, God's man for a nation in crisis. Wow, uh, it's a really good sermon. Uh, you know, plug for that. And uh, so he's at he was at Trinity Bible Church in Dallas, Texas, and he taught there. But we have you know, of course, I'm not old enough. But for fifty years, just fifty two years, this man has stood there. Ironically, they didn't want to hire him because they said they didn't know if he was deep enough when they were going to bring him in. I which I still chuckle at yeah, that. I found that hilarious. But you know, here here this man is. And we don't find that these days. We have people who, you know, it's it's almost like they close their eyes, they hum, they open the Bible, and then they point, and it's like, oh, that's where God led me to preach today. Oh, wow. And I'm going to try to put this together. And then they sometimes will go, they'll read a passage of Scripture, I'm going to read 10 verses, and I'm going to focus on the word whatever. And we get, well, let's use the John MacArthur that he said. He said when very early in his ministry, he preached on the rolling of the stone away from the tomb of Christ. Oh, yeah, this is something. It's just this beautiful picture of, of resurrection. You know, the you know Christ is resurrected. He's 
been restored. He's going to be exalted now. I mean, he is the risen Savior for the sinner. And Dr. MacArthur said, nope, not what I preached. He said, I preached on rolling the stone of doubt away, rolling the stone. And he inserted like five or six things insert, And he said, I'm frankly embarrassed that I did it because it's not there. Right. But that's what we see this. We call it a homiletic yeah. sermonette. And, you know, the other one is the anchor. You know, when Paul, yeah, I remember hearing somebody long ago Pre, this is back when I was early Christian. It was at a revival or something, and they they read and and Paul and they threw the anchor over the boat. And tonight I've got five points: the anchor of faith, the anchor of the rock, and and I, I remember going, didn't you just throw an anchor overside to stop the boat? Sure. And you know that was my thought, and I, I'm just perplexed this whole time, going, where do you get that? You know, I'm not. See- is there like a third dimension of this thing I can't see? And all of them were truths we should be grounded in faith <laughs> but i'm like but i didn't know there were seven i didn't know there was five or but that goes back to not carefully handling over. the word of god correct yeah Which it is does. what we're saying has been a problem throughout church history it, it in the second half of the 20th century and now the first quarter of the nearly first quarter of the 21st is we're seeing a move away from exposition expository preaching sure with with the proper hermeneutic that sort of thing to it to a style of I'm just going to give you a little something you can take home with you for, for this week. You know, I want to give you an inspiring message. Yeah. 20 minutes. There's nothing worse than that. When someone brings in a newspaper article. Look, I was at an Episcopalian, not Episcopalian. I was at a Presbyterian church once, local, in the main town here in the county. And I was there, and this is probably late 80s. I went there a few Sundays in a row. And, you know, they had a pretty service with with the... Uh, they lit candles at the beginning and had a children's choir that walked through the, the the congregation in robes, lit candles, and they sang a hymn. I think the hymn was actually a psalm. The liturgy of it of the service was pretty and majestic, and the and the pastor gets up and speaks for I swear fifteen to twenty minutes total. And all it was was he had a couple of newspaper articles that he had read that week that had inspired him to go to a certain point in scripture, which was somewhere in one of the gospels. I think it was somewhere in John, and it was just two verses, and then he talked for 10 or 15 minutes on how we could do a better job in our lives during this following week. You know, I got nothing out of it. And I was like, I called that specifically the word you just used. That was a sermon at yeah. a lightweight, tiny yeah. thing, a, a mini sermon. And it was nothing. Imagine being me. You've been around me long enough. I am not short. Right. I, I'm just not. I well, just don't. And, and there's was, times there well, is. Dude, this was over 30 years ago when yeah. the Presbyterian uh, Church was still known for its expository preaching. There, and it was that pathetic then. And there's times, you know, typically I'm going to go 30, 40 minutes and on the short 40. Yeah. On, on the short side You're 40. usually closer to 50. I'm usually closer to 50 to an hour, yeah. thereabouts. Yep. And um, so imagine somebody asking you to speak and you know they preached 19, 20 minutes, because that happens more than you think. Sure. And then here you come, and, and uh, you know, and, and you know, if somebody asks you to, I, I got asked to do two services one time. I was going to say, you did this past week. You, yeah. I forgot to ask you how that went. Yeah. Well, I remember me. going, this is going to be tight. <laughs> when <laughs> You, you want to start service two at what time? Yeah, how are you going to get That's that gonna in? It's going to be tight. When I got done, there was people out in the auditorium, um, like, you know, outside the auditorium. Yes, we call it an auditorium. There was people outside the outside the auditorium going, man, is he done yet? I made her go go home, I guess. Yeah, you and I don't refer to hey. it as the sanctuary because no, our hearts are the sanctuary of God, but that's neither here nor there. A good friend of ours, I've got to tell this story. Uh, a good friend of ours, whom we've mentioned on the show, uh, I was at a church. I'm speaking. They went to Subway to eat after <laughs> after 
had this good friend of ours who I was not in that our 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 local church. I was speaking somewhere else. He goes into Subway to eat and him and his wife and normally they're behind him because yeah. they had to drive a little further distance and normally they're behind him and you know and he 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 looked up and he's like you guys kind of running behind today, ain't you? He said, "Yeah, yeah, we we are. We had a we had a guest speaker today. He was a little bit longer than normal. We didn't think he was ever going to get done." And they're like, "Hey, wouldn't that guy such and such says my name?" And they're like, "Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you know him." He's like, "Yeah, we know him. He's he's on staff at our church." Like, "Oh, oh, he was great. He really did a good job. He was terrific." <laughs> Can I say the name? <laughs> so now I'll say it. Now Tim's always like, you're preaching today? Pack a lunch. I guess I better pack a lunch. He's got half a dozen mentions <laughs> on the show now. He should be so happy. But, you know, where we're associated with now, where we go to church, you're not going to, you know, it's it's usually uh, a well-developed, a well-thought-out sermon. And I will say always, Pastor Tom has been here with us before. Pastor Tom, if he gets to a point that he's not going to cut it, you know, he's not going to cut it short, but he, when I say cut it short, he's not going to cut the message short. But he has no problem going, okay, we'll make this a two-parter. We just did it. Daniel chapter 4 we're, on Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the idea pride. of pride, the pride of the king. He was, I don't know, three-fourths through the chapter, but he was nowhere near done with the sermon itself. And he went, this is a good stopping point, yeah. and we're just going to carry it over to next week. I'm not going to rush the message out. We're going to take our time and let it fly. I loved his joke at the end. Those of you that don't come back next Sunday, I'll know you're the ones that got hit in the head about pride. Yeah, and I wasn't and there. you weren't there because you had to preach. I wasn't there because I was, I was speaking somewhere else. So, yeah, that yeah. was. And I made sure to, you know, luckily I had told you guys beforehand I was going to be gone. Sure. Of course, nobody remembered that when I began to tell him when I was like, hey, I'm not going to be here next week. Like, yeah, he never told us he wasn't going to be here. <laughs> and, but. Back to the state. So, I mean, this is what we're talking about. Goes into what we're saying. Just give me a twenty minute. Let me go home. Let me let me go home. Let me let me lick my wounds for a little while. But there should be a reverence for the holy word of God. I like when 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 speakers will say, "Let's stand for the reading of the word." I do. I like the idea. Well, we. We stand or kneel, standing. stand or kneel, either one. I'm I'm good with that because I mean well, I couldn't kneel very long because I had this bad right knee. But I I I believe. That there has to be a reverence for the word. The word should be center. Well, what do we do when we get done reading the last song? You stay standing. Yeah. The word of God is read. Yeah. A prayer is said right in the message. Yeah. You know. Well, the ending of the ser- of the service is like that. There's a long period of standing in which we do a reflection. A, we, yeah. And we do a we do prayer, quiet prayer. We do um, singing of a hymn, and then there is a final benediction, and then we do uh, the doxology. Yeah. We end with the doxology there. I like that. I like I ending too. with the doxology. I, I do too, and I, I really do. I, I've been. It's been. We've been going there for man, right on a year. Not coming up on a year. And now. if by some chance people don't know which hymn is called the doxology, it's the praise God from whom all blessings flow. Everybody knows that verse. Sure. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. And sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Go I'm ahead. Going to say letter rip tater chip. Go ahead. <laughs> no. Everybody and, uh, knows that one. And, and and so that's where we've kind of got into this state of what's going on because the church coming into covid wasn't ready for a crisis right people the, are afraid they'll miss their opportunity to go sit at denny's and eat a meatloaf on sunday afternoon instead of instead of actually being instructed in the word and by the way being instructed in the word is more than salvific messages because christ will be exalted in the exposition of his word, regardless, my words will not return void. And what did we say earlier? He's going to draw. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's going to draw. He's going to save. He's going to keep. I found the first half of his uh, lesson on pride from Daniel chapter 4 to be very convicting, to be honest with you. 
for me oh, the second part was really convicting too because yeah. the second part was more the practical applications sure. of when it deals with a lot our our person ourself our kids in a lot just in life in general was so applicable to, that it was well, even some illustrations he made about how churches deal with discipline and and with pride in there and he said well, starts sometimes with discipline. said a lot of times it starts with the senior pastor where he's looking around going look at the church i have built and again it's not his it church happens. to build just like it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon that he had built. It was actually God had given him a kingdom. But that happens a lot that somehow, and we're not calling these people heretics. We're not calling them unsaved, but it, people become puffed up in pride. Look at what I've done. Okay, so can we look at the results of this and what has happened in this failing of moving away from just exposition of the scripture? What has happened is, as you said, a segregated church sometimes by generation Beginning in the in the mid twentieth century, with the rise of the youth culture, as it mm-hmm. was called, rock and roll and all that, we had a we had a tendency towards saying we've got to, that's the new mission field. We've got to reach the youth. Well, we separated them out. You know, in many denominations, there were no Sunday evening services prior to that. You know where the Sunday evening service comes from in a lot of denominations? It's it comes from the fact that that used to be the youth service. That wouldn't that the choir practice if I'm. Yeah, yeah, and then eventually choir started practicing in the evening, and then after a while they were like, well, we're already here waiting on our kids. We might as well have another Bible study. A lot of times that just became a second service. I started saying now. And then the idea was if you don't come, you're not being faithful to the church. You're not faithful being you're not being faithful to God because we've added on a new service. time, and you've got to be there or you're not a, you're not a committed member. And, 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 and when attendance was down, what did you have? Pastors saying, you're not here on Sunday night. You're not here for Sunday school, Sunday morning worship. And preaching, and you're not here for Sunday night service, and you're not here for midweek, whatever it was, Wednesday or Thursday. You're not here for the prayer meetings and the Bible study and the choir practices, whatever it was. Somehow you're less committed. Well, and somehow Folks, Sunday... people live. They have a life. They have a job. Some people work second shift. Some people work third shift. I'm sorry, but as a as a person who, who raised a family during all this time while trying to also be committed to the work of the Lord, it's not impossible sometimes for you to say i honestly cannot go to the midweek service well and and somehow it became a you the backbone of the church become the sunday night wednesday night people yeah and just totally forget the people that were on sunday morning yeah that were faithful you never asked the question of where that where are they do they have a job do they do they have to go to work i mean it, it, it's it's one of those but this is we, our program, correct? We're programmed program. to have three or programmed. more services a day plus a week plus but that other programming events. Also, you must come to all the events. That program also includes, heaven help, we have a long service Sunday morning. You and I have said many times, why not have a long song service that you have this exalting worship of God to where you're just lifting him up, singing praises to his name, and when you're doing this, it takes time because right now we run in and all of a sudden we want our song service to be the same, you know, um, cut and dry thing every single week to where we come in. We we have certain things that we do in certain time slots every week and we know what to stand. We know what to say. We're programmed to do this. We're programmed to do that. So we come in and most of the time we'll come in and you sing a song and then you sit down for some type of announcements or uh, some type of weekly catch up, if you will. And then what happens is you move right from that, you sing another song. And a lot of times after that, you'll do tithe and offering. And then some churches do, some churches don't. After that, you'll have a, uh, a time of special music, which, you know, begs the question of, is it really special music? 
If you have special music at every single service that you have, then I don't know necessarily that it's special. But, you know, I'm not trying to negate anybody from singing, you know, lifting up songs to the Lord and singing to praise him. By no means am I doing that. But then this is all programmed to fit in a time slot. So the time slot is you you begin at this time. You sing this song from this time to this time. The announcements should be from this time to this time. And some even put this in the bulletin. So you, you've run through it, then we're going to do this song, and it should take this long. And if it is a little longer, then we may want to cut a verse or two. We're only going to sing the first and last verse this week. And then you do your offering, and then you do your special music. And then once the pastor gets up there, it's probably now 1130, and he knows that you need to be at a restaurant to eat by 12 o'clock. So that means he's got 30 minutes to try to squeeze this in. And that's what happens. We're programmed to time slot every single thing we do. Every part of worship is time slotted for everything that you do. The holy order of service. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and like I said, sometimes we put, uh, you know, sometimes. The I tried not to chuckle good. when you said, is special music really special if it's every week? Is that not what I used to say on the phone yeah, to you all the time? I know. It's, How special is this if we program it into our thing? You, you, it's, 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 you know. It's not spontaneous, that's for sure. No. and uh, But that's our programs we're talking about. And that is what, coming out of COVID, that people have run back to. Right. They've never run back to, we're here proclaiming the gospel. And I go to Acts again, namely 4 and 5. At the first time, only a couple of them arrested. arrested. I know Peter's arrested. I think John and maybe James is arrested the first time. In the book of Acts in chapter 4, I may be wrong on, on those three arrested. They're arrested. They go back to preaching the gospel because what did the leaders, what did the Sanhedrin tell them to do? Stop preaching. Stop teaching the resurrected Christ. What did they tell them to do? That's what they were told to stop doing. In Acts chapter 5, what are they doing? Preaching. Preaching the resurrected Christ. They get arrested again. This time, though, when they bring them back, it's a different group. It's every one of the apostles now are in this group. And then, I, th- I think it's really ir- ironic because you have the teacher, oh, what's the teacher's name? Uh, taught Paul uh, Gamaliel. Gamaliel. So he asked him to step out. Have you ever caught that? He says, you know, just step outside while we deal with this. But then we know what he says. He tells he tells Luke, the rest of the Sanhedrin, Luke records this in Luke the record- book of Acts. How does Luke get that? Well, I, I have a theory. I do too. I the, bet it's the same. The theory is Paul. Yeah, since he was a student of Gamaliel, perhaps he, he was there and maybe even been, was recording it. Maybe he was recording he it. Was, so his then, job was to write down the minutes. And then, you know, we'll tip our cap on something else because we know Luke is a companion to Paul. Yes. And I think you stand where I stand on this. I do think Hebrews is a sermon by Paul. Uh, recorded, As recorded by Luke. Luke. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? If you ever want to hear a good argument of that, was it was Buck... Um, um, Tom Buck, Tom who, Buck, who writes a dissertation on it, and James and, White, and James White, and James was like, "I am amazed that you talk about this because I came to this conclusion in an undergraduate paper when I was in Bible college." Yeah, and so this was just <laughs> recently on the yeah. dividing line. They had this, so it, it's a really, really good listen, and that's kind of where I've been with it's that for several years. And that's, if you get a chance, you need to listen. Everyone needs to listen to the episode about Brandon Peterson. Yeah, y'all need to listen to that one. I meant to tell you that this week. If you haven't yeah, listened, listened to that, when I'm caught two back weeks up. ago. Oh my goodness, that was good. I'm caught back up. I'm done with one of the schoolings for this week or for this semester, so I'm I'm caught back up. Well, I'm in the middle of this two and a half di- hour diatribe from, from Tuesday. <laughs> no, I'm on the um, 
Oh, Radio Free Geneva. Geneva. My wife has been listening to him a lot lately, and she said, what is Radio Free Geneva? I said, just just listen. You tell her that's Chaylin's favorite. Uh, I I did not tell tell her that. My favorite episodes. I've been so many times right now. This is where he deals with open theism. This is where he deals Deals with with anything anything that's basically anti-Calvinist or anti-reform or anti the idea of God having a sovereign decree. And because I've I've told you many times, folks, if you're trying to pin me down, I'm not a Calvinist, but I will tell you, I believe God has is sovereign. He's in control well, of all. I've always said, give me your definition of what you're trying to pin me to. <laughs> down for Calvinism? Because no. if you're trying to pin me to historical Calvinism, no. If you're trying to pin me to the five points, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can pin me with that. But, and I don't think most people understand what historical is, but then again... We forget a word that most people absolutely forget because if you believe in any portion of that, uh, heaven help we have grace for the brethren oh, yeah. that are, don't believe us. As because, God extends grace to us, are we not meant to be gracious to others? Yeah, and I I love those people that if they don't believe like I do, that that is. And, and you know, I've told you this many times, there is never a time that I will get behind somebody's pulpit that I'm in and teach that kind of, you know, I don't, I just don't unless they ask me to. I, I, I just a, don't. I, I know a young man that I work with who, um, very intelligent, and he's he's a Christian boy, and I say boy because he's the same age as my daughter, about six months older than her. And um, he said to me this week that he he does his he's been doing his ancestry. He's been looking everything up, you know, doing his family tree, and he 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 wanted to let his mother know that her um, ancestors were French Huguenots. And she said, do you know what Huguenots were? And she said, some type of, of Protestants, correct? And he said, yeah, but pretty much pretty much Calvinist in their, in their leanings. And he, she said, oh, and she's very much not. And he, and he goes, oh, well, maybe they got wiser as time went on. I looked at him, and he goes, yeah, I know, I know what you are. And I said, no, you really don't know what I am. I said, uh, I, I would never classify myself as, quote, Calvinist. But at the same time, the, the arguments that were, that were stated by Luther— in his papers with uh, in opposition with um, Erasmus, the father of the King James, anyway, uh, Erasmus, uh, look him up, uh, and on the idea of free will and grace and where that comes in, where how are we justified? I lean towards the Calvinist interpretation of justification. Same here. I think it's scriptural. So there, I've tipped my hand. Deal with and, it. And and I'm I'm the same as you. It's like don't I, you know you and I've discussed this many times. I don't like labels per se. I, why can't we just be a Bible believing? Christ-saturated Christian, but somehow we've got to put our well. Our, and when I say Reformed theology, it's not just Calvin. There were others no, as well, others. Luther and others. And look, they all thought the same thing, that Catholicism was a works-based Christianity, and Re- Reformation is that of a faith-based Christianity from the grace of God. Hey, and, you, you know, most of those guys, Luther, you talked about Luther. Mm-hmm. Luther really put his life on the line to do what he did. Sure he did. He knew that he could have been executed. I mean, he very well knew the Burned the at the stake as a heretic. He himself was a Catholic priest. He knew. Yeah, he, he knew the ramifications and still took that bold stance that we see the Reformation. But and, was and, it guided by conscience? I have, I, here I stand and I, I, I cannot and will not recant. Yeah. I won't go back. And, and you look at the, you know, we talked about Fox's Book of Martyrs, but you look at how many of them went singing hymns. To their to their to death. their death, and that death was by burning. Yeah, that's the Marian martyrs. Uh, Tyndale, you know, Tyndale had. Oh, his is horrible. I mean, he was dead. Yeah, they'd already killed him. Um, it, then yeah. they hung dynamite 
blew his, his head back off just to make sure he was dead when they burned him at the stake. I mean, yeah, they'd already strangled him. And whose bones did they dig up? Um, that would be John Wycliffe. Wycliffe's yeah, John Bible. Wycliffe. Yeah, they yeah the, dug first, up. the first English Bible, and it was from the Latin Vulgate. It was not like Tyndall, yeah. who got his from uh, the Erasmian, the Erasmian Texas Receptus. And, and so, once again, here we go again. We, we're we're kind of mixing, I guess, a history lesson with all this as we go. You have to, but because uh, you can't look at where we no, are today without knowing where we've come from. Where we've come, and what has happened is it's been a slow, insidious infiltration of the world into the church. And here's what I mean by that. Oh, I would agree. The reason we run the programs is because we see it's almost like how to win, how how to influence people and win friends. You know that book and and and, and all this stuff about from Norman Vincent Peale about the power of positive thinking and all this other garbage from the 20th century that got into the church folks what i'm sure thinking with this episode we ain't winning any friends <laughs> no, no no no, we're not true that but sorry but, but but my point is this okay we're 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 we've we've seen where we're at in the mid 20th century and they're afraid of losing the young people so they create what i call youth church and again we've talked about some churches can do a good job with youth church but my point is the youth should not be the focus of our church. The family should be the focus of our church. And here's what I mean. Instruct the congregants in the Bible, period. Not just a little evangelism and not just a little bit of homiletics, but actually instruct the word. And I like churches that do that, okay? Churches that actually exposit the word when they preach and churches that have Bible study groups, okay? If Sunday school was nothing more than small, small study groups, I'd Praise be it. great with that. Well, but mostly Sunday school is a program situation where you have preschool, then kindergarten, then first, second grade, third, fourth grade, fifth, sixth grade, and et cetera, et cetera. Graduate et cetera. to the next class oh, when yeah. you go to the yeah you when know. you go to school the next year and all that. And I just I don't know. We've done nothing but dumb down the gospel, and we've and dumbed then, it down so much that by the time someone is thirty years old, married with children, sitting in a congregation, they themselves don't know what they believe or why they believe it or why they should believe it. Now, granted. You individually will still give an account to God for every word and deed. So you will still have to stand there and say, yeah, I could have studied more. I could have done this and I could have done that. Yes, you will, because you won't have an excuse before God. But you know who will have the hardest time giving an excuse? We've already mentioned it. James says it. Teachers. Teachers. So those of us that have been gifted with that and those of us that, that know what to do and don't do it, Oh, Lord, help us, because we're going to be judged for that. Those same kids, how many of those same kids that you, we just talked about, they're, they're plugged into whatever grade they're in, you know, in the state educational institution, and we look, and that kid's underneath the pew while the pastor's preaching watching an iPad. Yeah. You, yeah, sure, you, sure, it, sure. It, it happened. Sure. And, and then you wonder, 20 years later, you know, that this kid's, Nowhere in church, he's nowhere to be found, and and he may be by societal standards a good person, yeah, good Christian, he, you know. And then for, you know he he run that. And then he goes I, to college. Then he goes to college and gets the Christian part thrown out because yeah. he's taught about critical theory. Which, by the way, w- this all segues to that. We've been talking about this for months that we need to address this postmodernism, postmodern Christianity, and how it intersects with with critical and, theory. All that is probably going to be our next episode because this is a continuation of the topic we're having today, but in more detail, we're going to get a little more historical and a little more idea of what these things are. Today, we're talking about what's wrong with the church is that we're nothing but just lazy about the gospel. Uh, next episode will be what has happened specifically and what has what this insidious infiltration of the church, because that's what it is, is destroying the church from the inside out. And, and when we say postmodern, here's what we mean. Your truth is your is truth to you, but it may not be truth to me. It is morally relativistic. It's yep. all related to you. 
And and you know, as there's Oprah would be... say, or Susie Orman, those people, those gurus, those public gurus, stand in your truth. No, there is one truth, and Jesus says, "I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life." And you know, I'm going to plug that chapter 14, 15, 16 of John's Gospel. If you're ever having anxiety or struggles, you know, back back up to thirteen, the back half of thirteen, where when you know. He tells them he's going to die. He tells them that he's going to go to a cross. Peter, you know, no, will never let it happen. You know, they're, the, the, the disciples are perplexed. You know, Thomas asked the questions, where in the world are you going? He's still looking for this earthly roadmap to where he's going. And, you know, Jesus, where, where I'm going, you can't go. Absolutely. Where you, you can't go and, and, and where you're not going now. Here is Jesus, who we know is perplexed, that he sweats blood that he is so tore up over what he knows is coming and he is comforting them even in the garden during his prayer that's what, what he's praying lord help them help them help them help these little it, ones you've given me let them be one as you and i are one and and that's what i'm saying so if you're looking for anxiety read those chapters man and todd Friel wrote a book on that on those uh chapters and i can't remember the name of the book but if you go to his website, wretched.org, and you go to his website, you can search it. And he wrote a book on anxiety, and he really dealt with those three chapters, three and a half chapters or whatever, of John's gospel. But it, you're right. This and leads... I also recommend a MacArthur book, Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Another good one. Hey, you Sitting know on what? my shelf. And if you're hearing this, another book that I will recommend for you, if, you know, as we talk about salvation, we, we've talked about... Uh, salvation a lot today and those salvific messages and the modes that were used. We talked about the Finney, bringing them down to the anxious bench, getting them to repeat after a prayer. It becomes this just mode, mode, mode where the man does this. Like rote read, memorization skills. Read up. I think it's by Matthew Mead, The Almost Christian Discovered. Oh, yeah. And it's, and read, it's one of the Puritan books. Scary. Read that book. You can get it on eBay. Can you still get it on Christian book? I haven't searched. I don't know. I know you can get it on eBay. You can you find can get, some You can find copies. copies on eBay. I have not seen it on Christian book. I've not looked for it there. But uh, you know, that's one I would recommend. Matthew Mead's The Almost Christian Discovered. You know, give give that a read. And I think... Uh, Puritans could scare you into into being lost again better than anybody. You know, we have one of those preachers with us in today's time. We almost lost him a couple years ago. Paul Washer sure. is, is kind of that Puritan preacher. And, you know, I'm reminded of a statement he said here a while back because he was talking about all these people. Uh, you and I noticed today we're cautious to put labels. And I remember somebody asked Paul Washer, I'll talk about all these young Calvinists and these young guys. He goes, why can't we just be Christ-centered yeah. instead of labeling things? Yeah. And that's kind of where you and I are. Why Isn't that what you always said? Christ-centered and Bible-saturated. Bible that's why cannot we just be that, be our label. I'm Christ-centered and Bible-saturated. For some reason, we got to plant our stake in some sort of camp somewhere, and then that creates these artificial lines in the sands where I'm not going to call you a brother. You're not going to call me a brother. That is absolutely ludicrous because if you are in Christ and you trust him solely for your salvation, then you are a brother and sister in Christ. We may disagree in those, in some aspects, but we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, most people on the side that we do lean, because we have to put stakes down, remember, which is to the reform side, have less of a problem with this than these on the Arminius side. Yeah. They seem to have a pugnacious nature against those of us that for some reason point to God and the sovereignty. God is the whole agent of your salvation. But do not say 
and the double predestination, that there's a double predestination where he predestined some for heaven and some for hell. Do not say that's what I'm saying because that is never what I'm going to say. We I'm have, I think, I think what I've always said is we have limited free will. Mm-hmm. We have actions that we do. They're our decisions. There's no doubt about that. In time, we operate in time as a creature living in a particular era, a span of time that God has preordained. Remember, he knows every, every breath we're going to take. He knows every hair on your head and has numbered them. And what did David say? Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Live each day in obedience to God, in communion with God. That's the hard part. Well, Learning to trust in him because we can't, if we trust in ourselves, if we lean into our own understanding, as the Bible says, our own knowledge, for our salvation, for our comfort, for our peace, we'll never have peace. It's nothing we say or do that saves us. It is simply obedience to God. And you know, I'm going to give another plug. We've given enough plugs today, but I'm going to give another plug. Oh, yeah. First of all, don't hesitate to visit our website at uh, dumbspeak.com, dumbspeak.com. Don't hesitate to email us at comments at dumbspeak.com. That's comments at dumbspeak.com. But one thing that I will give a plug for that I think is a tremendous lesson, and I think it's about a 12-series message series in there, John MacArthur did a sermon series on the doctrines of grace. Uh, you could find it on his gty.org. Uh, you could find it on um, um, uh, the app, the GTY app. Um, and you just go in the app, you go down to the bottom, hit sermons, go up to the top, hit topics, go down to the Which doctrines I really need to put on my phone it's so great. that I can access his stuff anytime I feel like it. And, and you have access to all the sermons. I mean, I'm not going to say all, but I, no, I would say probably all the sermons I think he says that's been recorded. That's been recorded is on there. So. You you and, and listen. It, it take you ten or twelve hours. Listen to the doctrines of grace and let him walk through the doctrines of grace. You ever heard him? What he said? You ever heard what he said at Greg Laurie's church at Harvest when he was there asked to preach? Uh huh. And he wanted to speak on Scripture itself because uh, he said there's been a lot of good messages given this weekend. I don't have much to say other than I just want to talk about the Scripture itself. He said, I will let you know, this was a few years ago, he said that everything I've, that they've ever recorded of me is now available online for free. He said, we're giving it away because no one would pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> and he started laughing. You know, and you think about that ministry, he gives books away. <laughs> books he's written, he gives away. I got anxious for nothing, for I nothing. Got, you know, I've got um, the book he wrote on Paul, where it's scripture puts together all the, the faithful life of Paul. I've got... Uh, uh, the book he just wrote on the churches, also uh, Not Ashamed, uh, Shepherdology. No, actually, I bought Shepherdology. Sorry about that. You know, that is one of those, just give a listen to the doctrines of grace. And the reason that actually is fresh in my memory, I, I began to listen to it again this week, the doctrines of grace. I just listened to the three that he did on election. Uh, that's actually kind of parts four, five, and six. I'm going to back back up. He He's coming, if I'm not mistaken, he's coming out of a, uh, when he begins this, I believe it was 2004, and he's coming out of uh, just teaching through Jude, and he got kind of the end of Jude, and he talked about perseverance of the saints, and, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, disagree with that word. They, they want to say eternal security, but, you know, like it or not, God's the one that does the persevering. You know, God Absolutely. perseveres us in those trials. He perseveres us in our salvation because, once again, John chapter 6, James uh, chapter 1. John, you know, those you give to me, I will not lose, is what he says in John. And, and John 6, or John, uh, James, he talks about the perseverance. You know, he perseveres us in those trials. Well, I must say, this has been fun, interesting, and a rambling mess. <laughs> you know, but... If you ever, like I said, wonder uh, what our daily uh, conversations on a phone are like, 
you just got to listen to one. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let us close out in the next few minutes. And here's why. We could continue down this path for a long time, but... We are uh, long-winded. We are long-winded. But you've got a family commitment in under two hours. I got to smoke some barbecue. That's right. So there's Those some... of you who don't know, I love for food to be cooked on my smoker. So I likes... am, uh, And you're doing a pork tenderloin? Doing a pork tenderloin for tomorrow. That will be our Sunday meal. Um, I, we were sitting at a restaurant one day and I'm, I remember sitting around one Sunday after church and I said, you know, this is sad. Look at this. All these people sitting around, they can't even go home to their families. And Jamie and my, my wife goes, you know, we're sitting at a restaurant yeah, paying these people. Doing the same work. thing. And I went, well, that's it. We've got to stop it today. Start going back to Sunday dinner with the family. And, and you know what? It's been one of the best things we've ever done. Well, that was a good thing growing up. My grandmother would fry chicken almost every Sunday because everybody loved her fried chicken. Yeah. Cooked in an old iron skillet, probably with lard. It was the best. I'm, to this day, it's the best fried chicken I've ever ate in my life. I still have fond memories of it. And I, oh, I just. It's the fellowship. We we sit there with our, my, my, you know, our families. We have a meal together. We sit around the table. And a lot of times, if we go in a restaurant, we are there for, you know, 45 minutes and you, you don't have a conversation. And. And we just have a conversation for several hours, and everybody hangs around. And, you know, the only thing I ever request is sometimes I just want to watch John MacArthur, so yeah. I'm going to have to have you be a little quiet over there. We are Southerners, although I know you can tell that by our accent, but we're Southerners through and through as far as our types of food we like and music and everything else. Uh, this um, this thing that we're going to continue, we're just going to continue talking about this. I have no idea what we're going to label this in the uh, show notes i mean what do we call it i don't know we'll figure it out but the point is this will continue in our next episode and we're going to get into postmodernism, critical theory crt intersectionality all that sort of stuff because that's the that's satan's broom now that he's using to sweep away try to sweep away and, the real church and so we're going to use we're going to talk about how that's infiltrated society the society of the church i do Want to make a comment? This is a an addendum to our, our last well, episode. Before you do that, because I know what you're going to do, I want to ask you a question on live that. on the air. Sure, go ahead. For some of the CRT stuff going on and some sure. of this. You know, I, we may see if we can put some small clips together, and, you know, just so you can hear what's it, it's being It's going said. to be a few weeks before we, yeah. before we uh, record again because of schedules. Uh, work schedules for me, family schedule for you, you're going away. I know you have a commitment, I think, next week. I have to work week after that. So, so it's going to be, be a couple weeks. It'll be two to three weeks before we we're record gonna... again. In fact, you know, ripping back the curtain again, as we record this today, I just posted the latest episode this morning. So yeah. This is an addendum to the, to the last episode that was posted prior to today. You're going to see an episode in which we discuss the news of Ravi Zacharias from a few weeks ago. But the one prior to that, the most recent episode prior, is Baptism Part 3, which we concluded our lesson on baptism. I listened to that. I had to listen to that because I had to edit that one closely. I wasn't truly recording correctly, and so we were only getting the computer's speaker again to pick up our voices, so I had to enhance the sound, and I apologize for the sound quality there. We lost the music intro and my vo- my spoken intro. In order to do it later, I just I just overdubbed the music and let it go at that, so it doesn't look or feel like... It doesn't feel like a normal episode. It feels like it was a couple months ago before, before the beginning of this year when we got our sound corrected back in December of 2020 and i apologize for that that's one thing secondly i apologize for something else i think because we recorded two episodes on the same day including the one on ravi my mind was split in details about what we were talking about and it was pointed out to me by a listener that i never truly got around to my point about the analogy between in colossians between what you say of the old covenant and what you say of the new covenant let me say this 
and they used some scripture from Hebrews Hebrews to kind of point out that I was a little iffy when I said something about the death of John the Baptist, etc. They have a point on that. But let's not split hairs here. The whole point of this is this. My real point, which I never finished, was this. The, the point I was trying to make is that the artifice of baptism is no more condu- conductive to your salvation than the artifice of cutting away the piece of flesh in male circumcision was for the Old Covenant. There's parallelism between that. They did not effectually save anyone. That was the point that I was trying to make. They do not effectively save anyone. And that is true no matter what covenant you're under, that whether or not the person was circumcised, it had nothing to do. There were Gentiles, non-practicing Jews, who were indeed converted to Yahweh and saved in the Old Testament. There are multiple examples of that. They did not get circumcised. They did not join the Jewish faith. They went back to their nations. They didn't join themselves to the Jews, but they were saved. So we'll see them in heaven someday, okay? Did they get a letter? <laughs> no. They didn't get a letter from the local synagogue. The point is that that is the, is, the, is the issue here. When you add works at all, besides the work of Christ that was completed on the cross to your salvation, you have now diminished the gospel itself. Salvation is by, by grace through faith. It is the gift of God and not of man, lest any man should boast. But that's the essence of it. You are saved by grace through faith. And you are not of it, not your works. Man doesn't save himself. God does the saving. And so our final point on baptism was that we were pointing out in that episode that baptism is a work that is completed after salvation. It does not add to your salvation. It does not make you saved. It does not keep you saved. You are not going into covenant with God by being baptized as an infant. Some Protestants do practice that. It's a holdover from Catholicism. But there was never a commandment to baptize infants or children prior to a conversion experience. Only people you see mentioned in the book of Acts to be baptized, the only people you see mentioned in the Gospels to be baptized were those who had been converted. And all throughout Acts, you see the term, and we, we mention this, repent and be baptized. So it's repentance first, then you're baptized. So I think I've, I've solved that. I hope I have. I wanted to make that clear so that no one is confused of what I was trying to say. Apologize about the, the conflation of the covenants if that was a confusion to anyone. Next time we're together, we'll continue this, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, but we've got to go this time, so. And on that note, take us home. All right. Visit us online at dumbspeak.com. Send us your emails with questions, comments, suggestions, or your wrath (laughs) to comments at dumbspeak.com, and we will see you next time. God bless. (laughs) 